So today is Asalaha Bucha, the full moon of Asalaha. And it's the time when the Lord Buddha had traveled from Buddhagaya, which is the place where the Lord Buddha became enlightened, all the way to uh, the Isipatana Deer Park outside of Varanasi or Varanasi as we chanted and he went this distance because he was looking for someone who would be able to understand his teaching at that time he figured that most people wouldn't be able to understand this very difficult to understand thing which he had discovered and so in the beginning he thought not to teach until it came to him that there would be people who understood the teaching, who could understand the teaching. And first he thought of his old teachers who had taught him tranquility meditation, concentration meditation, meditation based on conceptual objects. But then he realized that they had passed away already. And that they wouldn't be able, they had gone on to, to be born in the Brahma realms where, of course, they couldn't practice insight meditation. They couldn't practice to understand uh, about uh, suffering and the cause of suffering. And so then he thought of these five monks who had been practicing asceticism with him for six years. And through his mental power he was able to determine that they were in uh, the Isipatana Deer Park still on the wrong path of torturing themselves self-mortification and so he traveled by foot he, uh, I believe it was 120 miles or something like that. it's a very long distance and uh, when he arrived there the five ascetics they they made a determination among themselves that they would they would not receive their old teacher uh, with any sort of measure of respect because what had happened was the Lord Buddha had given up austerities in favor of a more moderate way of practice and basically what that means is he just gave up any attachment to such practices, the practices of not eating, the practices of, of uh, torturing oneself in various ways, where they would uh, sit over a fire or hang upside down or hold one arm up for years or so on, expose themselves to cold, expose themselves to heat, expose themselves to sharp uh, thorns and so on. And he had given all of this up, and, and a part of it was going back to eating, because he realized that in order to continue practicing for a long on the long term, uh, not eating is is of course not a viable alternative, and it leads directly to death, which of course is is not a very useful thing. And so, uh, the Lord Buddha started eating again, and and this upset these ascetics because. They thought this was leading back to the uh, indulgent life, and for most people it probably would have. 
for most people, for all of them who couldn't control themselves. Uh, going back to eating would have, of course, allowed their uh, defilements, the kilesa, which still existed in them, to arise again. And without any tools, any practice to allow them to control those or to uh, remove those defilements, they would have may have very easily gone back to the home life. They may have very easily become attracted to objects of the sense and given up their interest in in uh, the holy life or in the ascetic life. Um, and so it's uh, the only we can see the only way that these ascetics were able to keep their, and the only way many people are able to keep their their religious life is simply by suppressing or repressing their desires and they do this in various ways by torturing themselves under penance or um, often I mean of course the easiest way to do it was with tranquility meditation or um, concentration meditation which these m men may, have, may or may not have been practicing but at any rate their way was to torture themselves to keep themselves in a constant state of pain uh, so that they wouldn't be able to think of, of things of pleasure some thought to somehow suppress these feelings, but anyway, when the Lord Buddha came, they they were very upset and uh, they didn't want to have anything to do with him until they saw how how mindful he was, and we can see how this affects the way people uh, look at us and relate to us even to this day. We can realize that when we're mindful, people are much more willing to listen to us and pay attention to us and. Uh, treat us kindly and with respect as opposed to when we're unmindful and distracted uh, we can see we're actually causing suffering for other people just by being around them and they're not comfortable or happy being around us but in this case the Lord Buddha was so mindful and clearly aware that they couldn't help but undertake all of the, res the uh, tokens of respect like taking his robe, taking his bowl preparing a seat, standing up to greet him and so on. And when they sit down when they sat down the Lord Buddha uh in tried to instruct them and explain to them that he had become enlightened. And they said, How in the world could you have become enlightened? You had never you hadn't become enlightened when you were undertaking the ascetic practices. How could you become enlightened when you've given them up? And the Lord Buddha said again, you know, I've you know, listen to me, I really, I have become enlightened. And for, th for three, three times he told them, three times they, they derided him, they chided him, they tried, they poked fun at him, or they um, denied the possibility. The Lord Buddha then asked them if he had ever said this before to them, if he had ever said such a thing before. You know, I mean, was this the kind of thing that he would do? Would we play these kind of practical jokes on them? Or overestimate himself and they realized at that point it was a turning point they realized that no the Lord Buddha would never have or that their teacher would, would you know, he'd never done this before it wasn't he, was, he wasn't accustomed to playing jokes or lying or tricking or uh, overestimating himself in fact he had always been of course a very straight and uh, honest sort of person so at this point they changed and they were then from then on willing to listen to what he had to say and that's when he started the Dhamma Chakapavatthana Sutta which is the first discourse of the Lord Buddha Dhamma Chakapavatthana means turning uh, Chakka is the wheel and Dhamma is, Dhamma is the teaching or the truth so this is the turning wheel of the Dhamma the turning the wheel of the Dhamma 
This is what this discourse is about. And it's a, it's a fairly simple teaching. The beginning is, is a fairly widely cited teaching. It's this, this talk about the Dwe me pikuwe anta. There are these two extremes. Anta means end or it actually is the cognate, I think, of the English word end. And if you look at it, the word means, the word looks very similar, anta and end. And I believe it's the same, uh, the same word. But here we're looking at ends, we mean uh, extremes. So if we see, if we have a stick, the stick has two ends. And so here we're talking about the two extremes of the stick, or the two extremes of the, of the holy life in this case. And of course these two extremes are torturing oneself and sensual indulgence. Now, the Lord Buddha didn't often come back to this teaching. So it's important to understand that actually we're not dealing with a an extremely core teaching of the Lord Buddha. It's not that this is a core principle of Buddhism, and it's often, why I say that is because it's often misused. They say, well, the Buddha taught the middle way. And it's true, he did, and he repeats it several times in the Tipitaka, and he uses it in different ways. Sometimes it's uh, not saying yes and not saying no, but giving up the whole idea of the question in, in a certain, in a specific case. But here, He's, of course, it's clear why he's saying this, because he's talking to people who are torturing themselves. So first he says uh, that, yes, clearly sensual pleasure is not a good thing. And he does this to reaffirm the fact that he hasn't gone back to indulgence in sensual pleasure. Because, of course, sen indulgence in sensual pleasure is something which leads to addiction, which leads to attachment, which leads to all sorts of things like acquiring and uh, um, all sorts of Given, giving birth to children and um, debt and all sorts of uh, attachments or all sorts of um, all sorts of things that bind sorts of ties but then he also then he goes on to say well then the other side of the coin is that torturing oneself is also useless it's clear that we can torture ourselves until we die and we still gain nothing from it he said it was dukho it's something which causes suffering Analiyo uh, hino, hino. It's something which is inferior. Or no, sorry, it's duko. The other one is hino. This one is duko, which means it's, it's painful. Analiyo. It's not noble. There's nothing noble about torturing yourself. So he was giving a fairly um, harsh criticism of this uh, this sort of practice as well. And then he goes on to explain the middle way, and this is the core of Buddhism. It's sometimes called the middle way, but it's most often called the Eightfold Noble Way. It's a noble uh, path. It's a path which leads one to become noble, leads one to become enlightened. And so this is the Eightfold Noble Path. Then he goes on to explain the Four Noble Truths. Uh, and he just sort of breaks into it. It's not really explained very clearly. But uh, he he's basically trying to, from this point on, here he's got them. He's explained to them about uh, what is the right path that they should be following. following. And then once they understand that this is you know, actually a pretty profound thing, you know, torturing oneself is actually a pretty simple and kind of stupid thing to do. But here we have something which is quite profound. It's got right view, right thought, right speech, right action 
right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. It's not something that's easily grasped. So now he's got them, and then he starts to go on to the Four Noble Truths. And of course the Four Noble Truths are uh, Dukkha, the truth of suffering, Dukkha Samuttaya, the cause of suffering, Dukkha Nirodha, which is the cessation of suffering, and Dukkha Nirodha, Gamini Patipata, which is actually uh, which is the, the path which leads to the cessation of suffering, which is actually the Eightfold Noble Path, which he just uh, discussed. And each of these Four Noble Truths is given in some uh, some some sh short explanation is given for each of them. So the truth of suffering is that birth is suffering, jati pitukha, jara pitukha, old age is suffering, maranam pitukha, uh, death is suffering, soka parideva dukkha domana supayasa pitukha, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair are suffering, apie hisampayoko dukho, the association with things disliked, dukhe dukho, uh, the disassociation with the separation from things which is like stress is suffering that which is desire not getting what one's want one wants is suffering and in brief the five aggregates of clinging are are suffering and this is the beginning this last part is the beginning of meditation practice when we talk about the five aggregates and so he may have explained at this time, what these five were, and we don't have it recorded here. Um, he may have just, it may have just been understood by them that these five aggregates existed. But it seems likely, more likely that the Lord would explain some of this out, because the five aggregates, of course, were not, uh, as far as we understand, they were not known before the time of the Lord Buddha. And it took the Lord Buddha to explain these five things. This is one of the things we give the Lord Buddha great credit for, being able to separate the, one, the being out into five parts. And so then we have, you know, what is this is the truth of suffering is actually um, pretty much everything that arises can be said to be the cause, can be said to be suffering. And what it means by suffering, it's something which causes us causes us suffering when we hold on to it, when we cling to it. And this is what it means, upadhana kanda. Upadhana means the clinging. And kanda is the aggregates. So some people often accuse Buddhism of of saying that life is suffering, for instance. And of course, the Lord Buddha never once said that life is suffering. Life doesn't have to be suffering. But anything that we cling to, that thing is only a cause of suffering for us. It's a painful thing. Just like a fire is something that can be very painful if you touch it, if you grasp it, if you hold on to it. Something that is very hot, something that is very sharp, if you hold on to it, it can uh, give you great pain and suffering course, if you don't hold on to it, if you don't cling to it, then it can't cause you suffering. It cannot cause you suffering. So this is the first noble truth. The second one is, what is the cause of suffering? And the cause of suffering is, uh, any, of course, this clinging. Or it's, actually, let's be more clear. The cause of suffering, the Lord Buddha said, is what, what is the cause of clinging? And actually, clinging itself has a cause, and that cause is craving or wanting, desiring something. And so these things are, some people maybe think that these two things are the same. And in terms of the Abhidhamma, they're very similar. Uh, but craving is a very small sort of wanting. 
when you see something and you want it or you like it, it then leads to what we might say in the call in English addiction. So the addiction is what we mean by upadana. Once we, when we like something, we may not be addicted to it, but once we get it again and again and again, and we reinforce this liking, that's what leads to a clinging and this state of of not being able to let go and the needing of something to to keep us happy. When we don't get it, of course, we're very unhappy, and this is why this is the cause of suffering. The third noble truth is the cessation of suffering. And well, this what is the cessation of suffering? Ya ayang, ya yang tanhang, ya yang tanha. What does it say? Ya yang tanha. Where do we have it? The cessation uh, without the cessation without any remainder of tanha of craving. This is the this is the cessation of, of suffering. The remainderless fading and cessation, renunciation, relinquishment, release, and letting go of that very craving. And so this is the the goal of, of insight meditation is to let go of the craving. When we see impermanence, when we see suffering, when we see non-self in the things which we uh, contemplate, this leads us to let go, leads us to give up and to be able to be free from our attachment, free from suffering. And how do we do that? And then, of course, the fourth noble truth, we come back again to the middle way, which is again the Eightfold Noble Path. And Mahasi Sayada, he, he comments that probably the Lord Buddha uh, gave more detail in this in in regards to the Eightfold Noble Path, just as he did in the um, in the Dhamma, in the Satipatthana Sutta, where we have two versions of it. Now, the Dhammacakapavatana Sutta, we only have one version, but it's also possible that the Lord Buddha actually gave a more detailed explanation, and all we have is a sort of a streamlined version, which is very easy for chanting. So after explaining the Four Noble Truths, then the Lord Buddha goes on to uh, explain how he uh, came to understood these these Noble Truths. And before he understood these Noble Truths, he'd never said, he, he would never have said he was enlightened. Neither did I say that I was enlightened. When I had not, for as long as for as long as I didn't understand these Four Noble Truths. Uh, for so long did I... For Up until that point I never said that I was a Buddha. But once I understood these Four Noble Truths, from then on, then I said that I was indeed a Buddha, fully enlightened. And then he goes on to say, what is the, what is the benefit of this? The knowledge and vision arose in me. Akupa me vimutti, my release is unshakable. I am antima jati, this is my last birth. Nati dani punapavoti, there is no further becoming. This is what he said. And the result of the, of the, of the teaching was that Anya Kundanya came to understand what we call the eye of Dhamma. And this is, of course, the, the most important. Uh, phrase in the practice of Buddhism is that 
Whatever dhammas or whatever things, whatever is the subject or has as its nature arising, whatever is of the nature to arise, all of that, uh, every such thing is of the nature to cease. And as Ajahn Pramod said when in Minnesota, he was explaining this, he said, you know, it seems very uh, simple, it's very simple and uh, basic teaching, you know, everything that arises has to cease, but we don't really realize this, we don't really see this with, with our hearts. We can accept it intellectually very easy, it's very easy to accept, but the truth is we don't really uh, see this about things. When something comes up, we hold on to it, and then when it disappears, we're upset. Well, clearly this means that we don't understand yet that everything has to cease. It's like we have this kid inside of us who, who is just learning and we already know uh, in our mind all of these things, but our heart is like a, a child. It's something like this, that we really don't understand what we think we understand. And so when we practice meditation, we realize that we're actually clinging to things which are impermanent. And the more we practice, the more we're able to see that these things, you know, there's no reason to get upset about them because they're just going to cease. They're just going to fade away. But we can't, we can't just say this to ourselves and say, yeah, I know, of course, I understand that. As long as we're still suffering, it's a sign that we still don't understand that because we're still holding on to things, not understanding that they have to change and they have to disappear. And even though we may get what we want, that we can't have what we want all the time. And so this was considered the point where Kuntanya understood the Dhamma. It's called the realization of Sodapanna. And as we understand it in Abhidhamma, it means that he actually entered into the, uh, the realization of Nibbana, or complete cessation, where there was no arising, there was no thinking, there was none of the five aggregates. There was no, uh, well, the body would have still been there, but there was no realization or, or um, perception of the body. There was no feeling. There was no memories arising, no thoughts arising, and no consciousness perceiving anything. There was only, if you might, if you may say that there was the perception of nibbana, but of course this is um, very much like a non-perception or a non-percipient state. But um, we have to be careful. We think of it actually. We understand it to just to mean that the mind was free at that moment, uh, just like the mind was not. The mind is something which grasps and which holds on to things at all times. Here there was no grasping and no holding on. So the mind is like a bird flying free and not holding on to the tree. And just for that moment, that realization was enough to change on Kundanya's life. And from that point on, he was able to let go, able to be free, at least to some extent. And then, of course, for the next five days, they went on to uh, continue the practice which the Lord Buddha had taught until they all, all of the five disciples became perfectly, or became arahants, became completely free from the kilesa, the greed and anger and delusion, the defilements which exist inside themselves. And so probably for the next day, we'll be going over some of the other teachings of the Lord Buddha, and on the fifth day, we will chant the Anattalakana Sutta. But for today, that's this is a summary of the Dhammajakapavatana Sutta in brief. And now we can start our meditation.
First we do mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting. 